Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke 19? And we've come to verses 11 through 27 in a passage that requires us to examine ourselves. There are three groups of people to whom Christ refers in this parable. Well known to the people of Jericho, which is where Christ is passing through on his way to Jerusalem, was the history behind what Christ said to the crowd that day in this passage. We'll look at the passage, consider the historical aspect of it, then the application of it to what Christ is talking about and what it means to you and to me and really to all the world. Everybody who lives, everybody who's ever lived, will live, is in this parable. You're in one of three groups. I am in one of three groups. Everybody in all over the world at any point in time in one of these three groups. So let's look at the passage. Beginning in verse 11. While they were hearing these things, what things? Well, what Christ had just said. Christ said that he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. In the greater context, he's referencing the kingdom. He's talking about how he has come to first establish a spiritual kingdom before he will establish the physical kingdom, which then he will surrender to the eternal kingdom and the new heaven and the new earth. So the minds of the people are on the king and the kingdom. He's he's getting nearer to Jerusalem. Thousands of people, many are wondering, will he displace Rome now? He's a son of David. He's made messianic claims. He has demonstrated great power. We're here and we'll see. So, Continuing, it says, he spoke a parable because of his being near to Jerusalem and their thinking that the kingdom of God is immediately about to appear. Jewish eschatology at this point in time was very similar to the eschatology of Christians today. We expect the same thing today that they expected then. The only difference is in their doctrine of last things, they had conveniently bypassed the vast portions of Scripture in the Old Testament which taught that the Messiah must first suffer before he becomes king. That he would be offered as a sacrifice and that uh, that it would please the Lord that this sacrifice would be offered and only he could do it. So Judaism in that day was looking for a king 
to just immediately establish the kingdom. They were looking for the Jesus or the Messiah of the second coming, not the first coming. They didn't like the idea of a defeated, humiliated Messiah. They had just ignored that part. Christ, however, in his teachings, doing so much teaching now about the kingdom and all that it means and about salvation, about everyone's need for a savior, how your works cannot save you, how the traditions of men cannot save you. You need to be saved in the prescribed manner that is only prescribed by God. There's no other way to be saved so that you can be a part of that kingdom. So Christ has made it clear. He has first come to establish a spiritual kingdom before he establishes a physical kingdom. Even his, even his disciples don't get it, even at this point. Even after his resurrection, Acts chapter 1, when they see the resurrected Christ, they eagerly ask the question, well, is it now that you're going to establish the kingdom? They still don't get it, even after that at that point in time. So the people were looking for the kingdom of God. Christ has come to establish that kingdom, but first it has to be established spiritually. They thought of themselves as good enough to be saved. They had the bloodline of Abraham. They, they thought they obeyed the law and they carefully followed the traditions of men. This is why the Pharisees came so heavily against Christ. Continuing, he said, therefore, a certain man of noble birth proceeded to a distant country to receive for himself a kingdom and to come back again to return. Then having called his 10 servants, he gave 10 minas to them and said to them, do business until I come back. It's a fairly strong word, pragmatic. We get our word pragmatic from that word. It, it, means, to, it means to seriously consider how you will use and multiply this. The, the belief of the, of the nobleman who was going away to receive a kingdom was his true servants would be obedient to his commission that he had given to them. This is, this is very valuable. It's a trust and I'm entrusting you with it. And because of the nature of it, I know that you can take it and multiply it. Now, minna is 50 shekels. A shekel is a day's wage. So this is like uh, a, a 50 days wage and, and uh, 10 of those would, would, would be multiplied by, by that. So you can see it was a fairly good piece of money. So he said to them, seriously, pragmatically, and the, the word means to, in a dedicated and focused way, do what I would expect you to do and do business with it. In other words, be profitable with this. Make something out of it. But his citizens hated him, sent a delegation after him saying, we're not willing for this man to reign over us. And it happened on his returning, having received the kingdom, that he directed his servants to be called to him, those to whom he had given the money, in order that he may, might know what each had gained by trading. 
The first came saying, Lord, your minna has produced 10 more minnas. He said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in very little. You are to be having authority over 10 cities. The second came saying, your minna, Lord, has made five minnas. He said to this one, and you are to be over five cities. And another, now this is important, heteros. That means another of a different kind. If it was homos, it would mean of the same kind. But it doesn't say that. So this guy is different from the other two, okay? Another of a different kind, different mindset. He came saying, look, Lord, your minnow, which I kept lying away in a piece of cloth. Here it is. Unfolds. Here it is. I kept it. I kept it. I hid it. I didn't do anything with it. Here it is. Then he says, for I was afraid of you because you are a harsh man. You take up what you didn't lay down and you reap what you did not sow. And he says to him, out of your mouth, I will judge you evil servant. You knew I'm a harsh man, taking up what I didn't lay down, reaping what I didn't sow. Then why did you not give my money to the bank? Why didn't you do the very least thing that you could have done with it? You see, he would not have received such harsh treatment from the nobleman, from the returning king, if he had just done the minimal thing. Why didn't you just gain interest by putting it in a bank? To those standing by, he said, take from him the minna and give it to the one who has 10 minas. They said, master, he has 10 minas. I say to you that to everyone having more will be given. However, from the one not having, even that which he has will be taken away. Furthermore, these, my enemies, those not willing for me to reign over them, bring here and slay them before me or in my presence. Three groups here. First of all, there were those who were obedient. They served the king, obeyed his commission. The second group would be those who didn't do anything at all. And the third were those who actively worked against him, hated him, and refused to let him be the king. Now with that in mind, Let's make some considerations and draw some things out of this passage of Scripture. First of all, what Christ did not come to do the first time. He did not come to overthrow Gentile power. We should take everything that is taught to us in this parable and we should consider the priorities of the church today. This church, every church. If we're not careful, we can become 
increasingly involved in affairs that seem to be important, but take away resources and energy from people within the church and from the church itself that should be given to what Christ has commissioned us to do. We should understand, especially in our nation that's been free and established on Christian principles, we should be, we should be prayerful about our leaders and we should, as far as we can, do what we can do as good citizens of the United States. But it is not the work of the church to engage the world politically. It's not the work of the church. That's not what Christ said. That's not what Christ did not come to do. In his great commission, this is not what he said that we're supposed to do. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the body of Christ. It is a spiritual kingdom. It is, a, it is a, an organism. It is a living thing that lives by faith and walks in obedience to the word of our Lord. That's our job. Now, when this world crosses his word, we stick with the word. And it may cost us something. But we stand by the word. And as such, we seek to be obedient, to continue to proclaim and to teach nations, to baptize believers. This is our job. Christ did not come the first time to overthrow Gentile. Now, when he comes again, he will. In his second coming, he'll overthrow all kingdoms. The pinnacle of Gentile power will meet him at his return in seeking to defy him in a battle. It won't be much of a battle. But Christ, at that point in time, will overthrow all the Gentile powers. That's not what he came to do the first time. Thus, he went to the cross and not bypass the cross and go directly to the throne of David and to the crown of the son of David on earth. Secondly, he did not come to set up his physical kingdom. He will the next time he comes, but not now. This is the death knell of post-millennialism. You know, there are still pockets of post-millennials today who believe, let me tell you, here's what they believe. They believe that since Christ established the church, that the church will do great works and that the church through these works will make society better, will make humanity better. And humanity, because of the work of the church, will just keep getting better and better and better until finally we will be so good that Christ at last will say, now I can come and rule those people. And so he'll come again. That's a post-millennial position. Well, that's ridiculous. You know, the question is, are we getting better or are we getting worse? Well, you don't have to be a nuclear physicist to figure that one out. He didn't come the first time to set up his physical kingdom. Well, now that leads me to the next one. He did not come to correct human social inequities. The greatest correction in the life of anyone is to be saved, to be born again. 
maturing in Christ, obedient to the scriptures, walking in the way of the Lord makes us keenly aware of the flaws of society and moves us to be sure that, you see, let me me back up. The church is a community of believers. We have, if you study the doctrine of the church in the New Testament, we have a great responsibility to one another. Our greatest responsibility is to the Lord. That translates into our responsibility to one another in the local body of believers. We're to love one another. We're to have one another's back. We're to gently correct one another when something goes wrong. We are are the body of Christ. So as a community of believers, and that's what I hope and pray that we do at Shiloh, we build a community of believers. We don't don't just focus on this age group or, or that age group. We focus on the whole body of Christ, a family of believers, a family of believers made up of families of believers. Look in the New Testament. The Philippian jailer, what's the first thing that he did? He was baptized and his household. That meant that he was so excited about eternal life, he brought to bear his influence as the head of his household and led others to Christ, and they were all baptized. So it was as well with the centurion in the time of Peter when Peter, he was called and he was baptized and all of his household was baptized. We are to be a a community of believers and families with families coming together in the local family, the local body of believers, and we love one another. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take care of one another. And if there is a need in this local congregation, then the rest of the congregation is to come together and see that the need is taken care of. This is what we do. So, When it comes to social inequities in the world, the greatest way that we can bring, that that we can see people under the great care of Christ is to first care for their souls. Can you understand that? Now they become, hopefully, if the Lord would be so pleased, They become a part of the body of believers and now we have a responsibility to them. They have a responsibility to us. But the great temptation of the church today, because it looks so good in the community, is to chase after perceived social inequities at the expense of the great commission, which is to preach the gospel and teach the Bible and disciple all nations. If you do that, all of these other things by default get taken care of. But if we reach out and try to do that apart from the gospel of Christ, we're doing what even Christ himself didn't do when he came the first time. I hasten to say, when he comes again, he will correct all of these things. The world will become a paradise. All of the family, nobody will enter into that physical kingdom unsaved. 
Only the saved folks get into the kingdom, the, the physical kingdom. And because the Christ of God has reversed the curse, the world becomes a garden. And everyone's home is productive. And all people are prosperous. And we learned from the greatest teacher of all, Christ himself. According to the prophet, on designated times, the nations of the world are appointed times so that they go and learn from the Christ. Now, if someone is born after that kingdom has begun and that person doesn't go or a nation doesn't go, the Bible says there are penalties. Won't rain, for example. A rebellious person, he'll die immediately. He's put to death. He goes into Hades with all the other unbelievers to await the awful second resurrection, the last resurrection. Christ does this at the second coming. That's not what he came the first time to do. He did not come to impose a form of morality among men. We already had the law. That hasn't worked out well for us, has it? It's not that the law is bad. The law is perfect. It's God's perfect standard for human behavior. But only Christ, only the Son of God could perfectly obey the law. We are of a fallen nature. We don't have it in us. We have to be born again. And still we struggle until the glorification. So... Even those of us who are sanctified, we still have to fight this battle in this world. I can look around and tell you that morality has not a, a form of morality from heaven at this moment in time has not purified mankind. The question is, is mankind moral? Now the moral standard be the Ten Commandments. To so many people in the world today, the Ten Commandments and the whole Bible itself is just a, a relative thing. It's just according to how, it, how I want to apply it. It doesn't matter. You know, I can, I can apply whatever I want to. I can bypass the part about adultery, but I don't want anybody to murder me. So I'll, I'll take that one, but you know, and the things that God says about himself, he's the only God I, you know, I'll, I'll take that with a grain of salt. That's how people are today. The, the moral code of the Bible is sort of relative to so many people today. And it's important. And let me tell you this. When we are saved, the Holy Spirit lives us, lives within us. We have this drive from regeneration, from spiritual rebirth to cause us to try to be as good as we can be. And that's a, that's a great thing in the lives of Christians because we understand the importance of the Bible and the importance of obedience. But Christ did not come the first time to impose a form of morality. He didn't come the first time to create prosperity for everyone. Churches in the modern era spend so much of their time, resources, and energy trying to take some
promise that was made to Israel, especially to be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom, and try to apply that to the church. That's not applicable to the church. I want to be prosperous. There's nothing wrong with hard work. As a matter of fact, Christ was a capitalist. You saw it there. Invest it. Take it, invest it. Make something out of it. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not why Christ came the first time. So then, why did he come? He came to offer salvation. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to provide essential atonement. He came to establish a spiritual kingdom. He came to commission his servants to work in his behalf. And he came to establish the operation of grace. Let me just sum all of that up. It's the Great Commission. Here is the role of the church and of individual Christians. To proclaim Christ and Him crucified. To preach the gospel such that people understand you are not saved by your works. There is nothing that you can do to save yourself. You must collapse helpless in the presence of a gracious God who sent His Son to die for us. We preach this gospel. Be saved. Understand that you're a sinner. You cannot save yourself. You can only be saved if God draws you into that salvation. This is our great proclamation. You see, he came to provide an essential atonement. What did Christ do on the cross? Do you understand atonement? Do you understand Substitutionary death, vicarious offering. Do you understand justification? All of this was rolled up into what Christ did for us. We preach Christ and Him crucified. These other, these, these other aspects of the, the, the terrible flaws and sins of the human race within the church will be addressed, but only by a purified heart of a reborn Christian, a real Christian. He came in dying. He's, let me see, I think he's about, hmm, about eight weeks from his ascension right here. This is when the son goes to the father to receive his kingdom. He will commission his servants because he's going to be gone a while. Commission us to carry on the offer of salvation in Christ. To preach Christ and him crucified. To teach people the great and wonderful things of the Bible. The way that Christ taught them. To teach people the real meaning of the kingdom and the coming kingdom. And the great kingdom in the new heaven and the new earth that will be established forever. To tell people that in order to get to the kingdom, into the kingdom, you have to come by the way of the spiritual kingdom. You have to be born again. Take Christ as your Savior. This is the greatest fix 
that the world needs. The world needs Christ. Only the church can preach Christ. Nobody, nobody else is going to do it. And too often the church is too involved in these other things that Christ did not come for the first time. And he came to establish the operation of grace. Let me tell you about grace. I can't. It's, it's, it's inexhaustible. But I'll start here. Christ said, take it from that one and give to the one who had ten. Huh, Lord, he already has ten. Why does the world object to free and exponentially multiplying grace? What's wrong with that? Why don't you just take a rest in the Sabbath, which is yours, namely Jesus Christ? Jesus is our Sabbath. Why don't you just rest and repose in Jesus and trust him? Be obedient to him and just trust him. Today may be bad, but it's not going to be bad always. The psalmist writes, the weeping only lasts for a night. Oh, but joy comes in the morning. Just rest in Christ and watch grace upon grace upon grace. Peter said that we might grow in the knowledge of Christ and grace to grow in grace. Rest in the grace of God. Christ established that here. The exponential multiplication of grace. Now let me give you the background as I quickly come to a close here. Herod the Great went to Rome to receive the kingdom from Caesar, the kingdom of Judea. 40 B.C. He died 4 B.C. He had three sons. One of his sons was named Archelaus. This may be a familiar story to you. Archelaus, knowing that he was going to inherit that part of the kingdom that included Jericho and Jerusalem, built a palace there. And it was his idea that he should rule by fear and not by love. So, on a particular Passover, he slaughtered 3,000 Jews just because he could. Now he goes to receive the kingdom and get the official blessing of Caesar after Herod the Great dies. But the Jews hated him so bad, they called upon the Jews in Rome and there were more than 8,000 of them according, according to Josephus the historian. More than 8,000 of them made an appeal to Caesar not to let this man be the king. Well, Caesar didn't listen. Archelaus goes back, he rules for 10 years as the king of that part of the world under Rome, under the Roman rule. But the people hated him. They didn't want him to reign over them. Now Christ uses that to speak of his kingdom. He's going to go away. He's not going to march into Jerusalem and set up a kingdom. He's going to go away. He has enemies who don't like him. They hate him. They're going to kill him. But he's going to go away and receive this kingdom. And this kingdom is going to be built and gathered. And at the right moment, when the, when the time is right, Christ will come again. 
Those three groups will be addressed quickly. Let me look at them. The first group are what I call the reapers. They recognize the value of the trust that has been invested in their lives. The gospel for you and me, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation for the world. Bring to bear every influence that we can, all of the energy that we can, passionately reaching out to the world in the name of Christ that the world might be saved. I've heard people in my pastorates through the years, parents who had young children, oh, I... I don't want to put any pressure on my child. It's, it's going to be his decision. Listen, a here's what book of Proverbs says. A child left to himself brings his mother to shame. The worst thing you can do is to leave a child to himself. The fallen nature within him <laughs> will drag him right to hell. So, you remember those two guys I mentioned? First thing they did, they went to their household. Their household was baptized when they were. Good place to start. The value of the trust that I've been entrusted with. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Eternal life. A citizen of the kingdom of God. The reapers are obedient to the king's command. The great commission. The work of the church. To reach the world for Christ. To preach the gospel of Christ. To go all over the world in the name of Christ. To preach the gospel. The reapers are always productive regardless of the opportunity. Now one of them got... He, 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 he got a tenfold increase. Another got a fivefold. Listen, we have different opportunities Different characteristics, different strengths and so forth, so forth. But there was still reward for both of them. There is reward for the obedient worker who works in behalf of the king. So they were rewarded for their work. The next I called them reprehensible. Church roles, I'm afraid, are so filled with such people. I didn't do anything with it. I hid it. I didn't even want to look at it. I covered it up. I didn't even want to carry it around. I buried it. Because I don't really like you. You see, this guy misrepresented his king. Harsh criticism. For his king. People who are just indifferent. They don't care about the value of the trust that Christ has left to the church. No affection for the king. No unction to be obedient to the Lord. But remember that word? It's because he just ain't the same as the other two. He was judged. Judged. Finally, the rebellious. Driven by hatred, they hate God. 
That's their natural state. They reject their king. They refuse to serve him. They refuse to be part of his kingdom. They refuse for him to reign over them. What happens? They are gathered and they are slain in the presence of the king. Examine yourself. You're somewhere here. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. Oh, if you will admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus. Call on him to save you. God will save you in Jesus' name. God will change you. He'll put his Holy Spirit in your life. You'll be born again. And there will be a whole new reason to live. To serve Christ, the King. If you're here today without Christ... My appeal to you is this. Come to Christ today. Listen. Just come in and let me pray with you. Let me talk to you. Only the Lord can draw you into this salvation. Maybe you're here and you're already a believer. But this is where God would have you to serve Him in this local body of believers. You come as well. We'll take care of all of the details of church membership. Father God in heaven, Lord. Bless this invitation and use it for your glory, we ask it. In Jesus' name, amen.